Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Today's episode with Ted Barker. We're going to hear about his origin story, an industry veteran across paths with him. Never directly worked with Ted, but very aware of his expertise and his contributions to the hobby from various companies, including currently at Beckett Media. So thanks, Ted. Here's uh, his origin story. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, listeners. Here is Ted's origin story that I enjoyed and I hope you do too. I'm different because I'm not a passionate collector. I'm passionate about our hobby and the industry, but I got into this in sales and I've acquired a lot of cool things. Everything I have means something to me, but I don't wait on the next prism to come out or the next tops baseball, whatever. I know about it and I understand it. But in some ways, I always felt like if I'm selling it, there's a little bit of a conflict for in, of, of interest when you're working for a manufacturer or when you work with Beckett. And I... And I understand collectors. I understand their compassion and I think it's cool and I like it, but I come from more of the business side of it than the collecting side. Some people get so close to it. They really can't have the vision for where the industry really needs to go. But we all break down into, if not sports players, when we were growing up, we were sports fans and many were collectors of something and cards would be then the further subset. I checked all those boxes and many people did, but you're right. When I'm going around to a card show, I'm looking at the cards because <laughs> I'm a card guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a memorabilia, you're looking for the memorabilia. But I think you've been able to maintain a, a business posture that's allowed you to assist at various levels within the industry of making a healthier industry. So to me, you're a more industry veteran, if I make that distinction, to hobby veteran. I think that's fair. Uh, one of the things that I really liked that's happened to me in the last couple of years, I signed up with a couple of these financial advisory things with because they need somebody in our space. And for years and years, um, if there was anything to do with the industry, something happening, it was because somebody else in the industry was doing that in terms of ac- acquisition yeah. or selling. That, that was always within our industry. When I worked for Upper Deck and for Ann before, we were always for sale and we were always trying to buy somebody, but it was typically in the industry. I've done dozens of these sessions the last few years with investor groups who are looking to now get into the trading card space. It's new money. But it's, it's not the same pie. The pie has gotten bigger and continues to get bigger now, which is really exciting for the future. I think back in the day, I, I really didn't want to steal part of somebody else's piece of pie as much as I wanted to make the pie bigger. But that's easier said than done. And some macro conditions in the national economy and the global economy that have put a lot of money chasing interesting things. And we are an interesting flavor of the last couple of years with a a really great track record, at least a short term here for the last 18 months to two years. The the whole track record for all of my life has been some uh, plateaus and then some movements, but you've participated in that same thing for how how many years do you say you've been in the industry? Within the specific industry of 1998. But when I worked for Athletic Supply from 83 to 98, with a little short term away from there, Athletic Supply, while I was there, we went from being the largest team sporting goods dealer in North Texas to really being the fanatics of the time. We were the, say, you, were, you were fanatics before it was fanatics. Absolutely. We were dealing with the displaced fan, and we were a Cleveland Browns fan that wanted a Brian Sight jersey that lived in any part of the country besides the Cleveland area might have trouble finding that. We could do that for him. We could get that for him and anything else he wanted, Cleveland Browns. 
When I was at Athletic Supply, the really interesting thing that happened was we were selling the Cowboys everything from the stars on the helmet to the helmet. I mean, everything. And they bought it from us and we didn't mark it up fully, but we marked it up and we had people at the practice field six days. What I did, I called on the, the front office. I would go to Mockingbird and I would go up and I would duck my head into every door three times a week. Do you need anything? Do you need anything? Yes, we need a Tommy Toon jersey. We need a white panel football, all that kind of thing. We had this big relationship there. And so we created some things for them. And when somebody would call the Cowboys and say, where do I get the Tom Landry cap with the D that he wears, that that white mesh? We get that from Athletic Supply and they would give us the number. We started getting those calls. And so we placed a two-inch ad in Sporting News for the real jersey that they were wearing, customized with any name. And we put a one-page flyer together selling Coach Landry's cap or the white t-shirt that we sold was just Dallas Cowboys and NFL properties bought some stuff from us and then called us and said, cease and desist because these are not licensed. Norm Charney, our owner at the time said, the reason we're selling this is because the Cowboys send it to us. And this is what the fans want. They said, we're working on a concept right now. It's called wear what the pros wear. We're calling it pro line. And we want to come talk to you about it. This is in 1983. They gave us an emergency license until the end. And they said, you're obviously in the mail order business and you can do this. We were doing all that out of our shipping, receiving at the back of our store location in just a little room. Oh yes, we are. So they gave us a license to produce the first NFL mail order catalog. And we had no idea what we were doing. We had to go out and lease a building and, and ramp up this whole mail order catalog fulfillment center, which we did. And we became the official mail order catalog of the NFL and then the NBA and for a time MLB and for the PJ Tour catalog, and for Sears, for their My Wish catalog. We did all of that for the displaced fan. Basically, our business was exactly what Fanatics has become in the digital. So uh, that started in 83. I was there from 83 to 89, and then they spun off the sporting goods side of it. I came back to Norm and the fulfillment mail order catalog part of it in 93 and stayed till 98. And we were purchased by a company called Genesis Direct out of Secaucus, New Jersey, who also had the NHL license. And they wanted to buy us and they wanted to buy Manny's Baseball Land. We, we were the two big players. So they bought both of us and they told our owner, Norm, and the Manny's both, you're going to be the group leader for this new business. And when we bought it, they basically just brushed them both aside and paid them their consultant fee and moved everything to Secaucus, but they moved a fulfillment center to Memphis. They left four people here in Dallas. And I was one of those because I was buying all the collectibles and memorabilia, including trading cards. And then we had a quarterback club license. So I was creating product and selling it wholesale as well. Then about nine months in, they decided to close us in Dallas. And I was UDA's biggest buyer at the time. And I called uh, Mike Gardner and said, hey, they're shutting us down. And he said, hold on, I think we've got something for you there in Dallas. That was in 98. And they hired me to be a salesperson on the retail side, sales manager. That's how I got to Upper Deck. So I had four years at Upper Deck. Then I had three years at Donruss, three years at Beckett, nearly five years at Panini. Then I've been back at Beckett for five years. So I, I'm a big gun. I've been fired by everybody. <laughs> well, let's see. You're nimble. I think <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, once people get a job in the industry, as you did, and you're good, it's not that you have a job for life in the same chair necessarily, but the people in the industry and in the hobby know who the good guys are. Wait a minute. It sounds like you have a five-year lease. <laughs> I hope that's, uh, it, it just, if you look at the sales teams and a lot of the management teams of all of the manufacturers, 
nearly all of them have stints at more than one company. I have a story for each time I move that's that's unique each time. I wasn't planning to move each time. Sometimes it wasn't my idea. Sometimes things happen. Sometimes it was my idea. Those kind of things just happen. The other aspect of my career that has helped me now is when I was at Upper Deck after six months, they asked me if I could handle the TV shopping networks. They said, we'd like you to do that. So I started selling mostly UDA products, some trading card product to shop at home network was our biggest customers to QVC and to HSN at the time had a daily show called the daily sports source, which was, which aired on Fox sports nets, regional channels at noon live across the country every day. We'd provide products for that. And then I would go down once a month and I would go on the air and I would make our pitches there. And so that's where I first got to meet in Golden, for example. And I met the people at QVC and that was really fun to do because we created a lot of special product and we moved a ton of product on there. So anyway, it's been an interesting career. Yeah. But in those, uh, how many different uh, ownership changes have you been through? There's several of the companies you mentioned have had ownership changes. Were you part of those or what are your observations? Because we're in a wave of those right now. Yeah, Richard brought on a partner at Bondi when I was there. I left Donruss because we lost our baseball license and 80% of us got laid off. Yeah. Uh, and our sales team, really the only guy left was Mike Anderson, our vice president of sales. So it was me or him. He's not leaving. The plan was to move into a marketing position, but that's why I left there. I got to Donruss because Richard, his executive team had about an 18-month lifespan and they would come and go. And I came with that team to Donruss. And that's how I got to Donruss. And unfortunately, when we lost the baseball license, which was devastating for us because we were doing such a great job in baseball, we had moved to number one in baseball and football during that time period. When I was at Beckett the first time, you had already sold. I didn't have the honor of working for you. And then they sold again while I was there. Um, Then I came back to Panini. The chance to go back to Panini was really important to me. I went back to work for Anderson. A lot of the same people, wasn't it? A lot of the same people. And and Mike called me and said, would you consider coming back? But I wanted to go back there. And I I knew the financial troubles that and having Panini come in with deep pockets and a new vision was energizing. I knew they would do well. I knew they would not be afraid to spend money to make things work. I was excited to get back there. When I left there, that was a shock to me because I was having a record year and I wasn't expecting to be called in and said, we no longer need your services. So at that point, I was out of the industry for a couple of years before Kevin called because Mike Payne gave a recommendation for me. Kevin said, we really need some help and we need to make a change. And what can we do? And he said, why don't you call Ted? I'm not even sure what he's doing. And that's how I got back five years ago, thanks to Mike Payne, which I'm eternally grateful for because this last ride at Beckett, the last five years. It's a great place to be now. We have so many great things going on. Our business is growing. Our future is great. And I've been in more of a coaching role in a lot of what I do now. Uh, I feel like I'm important to Jeremy, somebody that he can bounce things off. And he's such a tremendous guy and tremendous leader. There's not one person in the Beckett building who wouldn't run through a wall for that guy. The last five years, I'm glad that the industry is is evolving and changing and growing and Great things are happening there, and we're a part of that. One thing I've wondered about in, with you making these various stops on the hobby train and being more sales than marketing was my perception. Sometimes in the ebb and flow of a company and a business and an industry, the sales guy does not always get the credit when things are going well. Of course, everything's selling like hotcakes. So thanks, sales guy, but uh, they were going to sell anyway. But if sales go down, all of a sudden the sales guy, well, hey, dude, what's going on? You're the problem. So you don't get the credit, but you do get the blame sometimes because there's macro forces in our industry. The early days of BGS, we had really no sales department. 
or marketing. My philosophy is make a good mousetrap and people will beat a, a, a path to your door. To some degree, that's true. But finally, Pepper and others said, look, we need to get out there and we need to amplify and have clear messaging that we want your business. And so I think that's always what you've been about. But I've wondered if you've ever felt misunderstood in terms of credit and blame <laughs> with your I, excellence because you're I the think, same guy I, through it all. I think it just goes with that job. When you sign up to be an umpire, you're expected to be perfect from the first day and nobody notices the umpires unless there's a critical play that you don't like or they miss something. Uh, and then they're in the headlines. But on the other hand, uh, the, in any business, the sales team is paid by their success. People could criticize you as long as you're doing well and you're happy because you're making more money than you thought you would make. But it's not easy. It's not an easy sell because trading cards are not gas and they're not bread and water and they're not your kid's education. When the economy is not great uh, or even when the economy is great, people don't have to have trading cards. That's actually no longer true. Now, <laughs> have to have. Yeah, that's true uh, right now. And trading it's, cards, including Pokemon and all that stuff. It's like absolutely. It's better than cash. It's better than any other investment. These fractionals and others that have gotten into it, they're not always making money on everything they buy, but they're not buying right in some cases. So they're right. saying the asset went up or it went down. Well, mm -hmm. if you're buying at full price plus something above market, then it doesn't always go up. Cards have never been referred to as an alternate asset class until the last couple of years. Never heard that term. Now it's talked about all the time. Our list of customers that advertise with us and sponsor events with us, a lot of them were not even in business two years ago. They're in a different category, fractional groups, apps. Telling the Beckett story is a, a really important part of what we're doing this year, rebranding us, taking a step forward. I can't tell you how many people that I talk to will say, Beckett's still in Dallas? I thought Dr. Beckett sold it. I didn't know that Beckett was still around. I hear that a lot. Oh, yes, we are. In Dallas, not in the collective world, but here in Dallas. I remember Beckett. We want people to know that we are here and part of the Dallas community and that we are thriving as a company. That's one of the cornerstone pillars that we've stuck in the ground for this year of, of what we're going to do is to get our name out there because many of our former customers and current customers are also now our competitors. Part of the way our company could have greater visibility is through more intentional market leadership initiatives, which I always wanted us to be doing when I was in charge. 